Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. It's a Comey-palooza. Donald Trump's being accused of everything up to and including treason for firing FBI Director James Comey. Fred Barnes is going to join us to take a look at the allegations, such as they are, of Trump-Russia collusion. Spoiler alert, Fred's skeptical. Then Michael Warren is coming by to answer this burning question. Did the Trump team actually think the Comey firing wasn't going to produce a firestorm? Once we've got that settled, we'll talk with Andrew Ferguson, who's been following the primary race for the Democratic nomination to be governor of Virginia. How blue can this newly blue state go? Like they say on the infomercials, but wait, there's more. Ethan Epstein, the Weekly Standard's Korea hand, is going to tell us what to make of South Korea's new president. Is he going to make nice with the murderous dictator to the north? We'll ask Ethan. All that next on the Confab. But first, I'd like to welcome a new sponsor to the Confab, the Dollar Shave Club. They don't mess around with 14-blade razors and magic lubrication strips or other gimmicky shave technology. Confab listeners can get your first month with the Dollar Shave Club for just $5. Just go to dollarshaveclub.com slash confab. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash confab. Don't forget the slash confab part. We get the confab going this eventful week with Mr. Fred Barnes, mm-hmm. executive editor of the Weekly Standard. Fred, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Good, good. Now, it would seem that perhaps one of the biggest consequences of Donald Trump firing James Comey this mm-hmm. week is it gave fuel to an otherwise sputtering case that there's a big Russia conspiracy yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Well, it did. Uh, There's only one problem with that. (laughs) There's no evidence of it. Obviously, there's been contact between uh, people associated with Donald Trump and Russians. Some of them are are businessmen, and you'll remember that President Obama, one of the things he encouraged to really cement good relations with Russia was to have a, a lot of corporate ties between American businesses and Russian businesses. When he went to Russia on his trip, Obama I'm talking about, he took a bunch of American businessmen with him. So... Uh, it was uh, not surprising that there were a lot of uh, the Russians who turned out to be intelligence uh, agents who, when uh, American businessmen thought they were talking to their counterparts in Russia. Yeah, it it seems to me one of the strangest things out of all of this is that um, the FBI was in in the business of taking as evidence of some sort this dossier mm-hmm. that had been put together by an opposition researcher who was, you know, a former uh, spy himself, mm-hmm. but had fallen mm-hmm. so low as to be in the opposition <laughs> research business, yeah. and that this was being presented to the FBI, perhaps even paid for by the Indeed. FBI, yeah, paid as, handsomely as as something, you know, some credible information, mm-hmm. and the material in it is so ludicrous. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, but there hasn't been anything in this season of leaks that that would seem to be any stronger evidence than the stuff that's in that silly dossier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it would seem to me in this season of leaks 
we would have heard if there was evidence out there. Indeed. If there were evidence of Trump or Trumpian uh, collusion with Russians to uh, defeat Hillary Clinton, uh, I think we'd have heard about it by now if they'd found it. You know, the FBI investigation started last July, and the House and Senate Intelligence Committees have been going after this for a while, and then they haven't come up with anything yet. I like, and, you know, and then they, uh, people liken this to Watergate. In Watergate, there was a ton of evidence, <laughs> and that's why, and that's why uh, Richard Nixon left office sooner than he expected. And, um, you know, I don't know that I could withstand having the FBI look at me for nine months. Yeah. I, I, if anybody's listening, I, I highly respect the FBI. They're excellent people. All of them. I agree. <laughs> they couldn't be nicer. And uh, I'll, and I'm, I'm happy to have them by for dinner even. <laughs> so what about this story that um, that hit in the, in the middle of the Comey storm mm-hmm. that um, – so splashed across the pages of the Washington Post that this all happened just in the days after Comey went and asked for extra resources <laughs> for his Russia probe. Really? Mm-hmm. You know, that turned out to be, uh, I think, a figment of, uh, of, of Comey's imagination. But he told it to, uh, I think, some Democratic senators who naturally leaked it immediately and then the Post splashed it around and across all six columns of their front page uh, and, uh, on May 11th. And it, was, uh, and it turned out to be highly unlikely. The ally, friend, and associate, and former number two in the FBI under Comey, uh, Andrew McCabe, who is now acting director, uh, shot it down completely. Uh, when he testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee. And, and he said, well, gee, I, I hadn't heard any of that, that we were looking for, <laughs> that we were actually going to expand this investigation and we needed more money. He said, you know, going and, and chatting with some people on the Hill are not the way to do it. And besides, uh, 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 Comey had met with the deputy attorney general, who would be the likely one you'd go to and say, look, we need more money and a broader investigation. Nope, that didn't happen. So it it was highly unlikely in the first place. So what happens to the investigation at this point? They keep doing the same stuff they've done. The reason I I think that there uh, uh, that there's probably not going to be anything new coming out. In other words, some compelling. Uh, evidence uh, that Trump has been or his people have been involved in in collusion with Russians last year in order to defeat Hillary, because I think I just think we would have learned it by now. I mean, as the uh, the FBI investigation has been going on on so long, and there's and there's so much uh, all these other investigations. Reporters have done an awful lot. Uh, I think we would have gotten that yet, but but maybe not. We'll see. I, I wouldn't say Trump uh, it is out of the woods completely, but I think he's gotten past uh, this current flap over his firing of Comey, and that sort of touched uh, things off. But I think he's over this firestorm. There may be more, but I think he's uh, survived this one. So what about the calls, the endless calls for a special prosecutor? (laughs) Well, that was shot down also by Andrew McCabe when he talked to the Senate Intelligence Committee. He He said basically, we don't need one. We're doing fine. We don't need your help. Uh, now, maybe he was just being uh, uh, territorial. Uh, and what, and, uh, you know, this is the FBI's job, but uh, clearly he didn't think so. And, they, and, they, and, and the FBI has used an awful lot of agents to work on this case. 
uh, but they've had it for 10 months. And and they still haven't uh, found anything. And the House and Senate, they've been after it. And uh, it's so uh, I, I think they would have nailed it if they were anything there. So the opposition to Trump, though, now is hardening not only into the resistance, mm-hmm. but uh, calls for uh, impeachment are actually the the softer position. The treason <laughs> trial is, you know, it's is, is, is the harder position. Mm-hmm. Where does politics in this town go from here? <laughs> the gallows. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it really is, you know, this treason thing. I mean, there's no evidence, so uh, you can say anything you want, and and that's uh, what the, the Democratic senator from Connecticut did. He he starts talking about treason. Others say, like Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, said, "Well, wait a minute. Now the Russians are out there, and Trump fires Comey. Ergo, uh, they're totally connected. You know, and it, it's kind of pathetic when they say this stuff because it's not. It doesn't uh, coincidence is not evidence." Fred Barnes, executive editor of The Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on The Confab. You're welcome. And now for everyone who can't get enough of all things Comey, we have Michael Warren, senior writer and White House correspondent for The Weekly Standard, who, you know, Michael, I think probably at the beginning of the week you were thinking, Oh, maybe I'll be writing about the Kushners and their China trip where they're talking about right. uh, visas for investment in the Kushner properties. And then along came Comey. I, I remember I was actually having a conversation on uh, Tuesday afternoon with Bill Crystal, and we were commenting on how quiet it was. There really wasn't a lot of news going on. This was about <laughs> 5 o'clock. He's walking out the door, and I say, yeah, well, we'll probably get some kind of uh, uh, blow up sometime at least by nine o'clock. Well, I was about three and a half hours late with while, that prediction. While you were while you were having that conversation, <laughs> Trump's right hand man was carrying the envelope exactly. at that very moment. Exactly, it's serendipitous, I suppose. Uh, yeah. So this has been. I mean, it's it's one of these things in in the Trump era where uh, the news and the issues. I mean, turn on a dime and uh, can completely flood the zone. And that's really what we have here is we've had a kind of a condensed week that now feels like about three months of uh, machinations and explanations from the White House about what exactly happened, why they did it. And it, it's it's funny, we end up feeling like we know less than we did uh, in the first place about what exactly was going on with this whole incident, which is typical for the Trump era. So it, it only took a couple of days to go from story number one, which was that, hey, I I got uh, this this report from the assistant attorney general and the right. attorney general. What was I to do but to follow their advice to within a couple of days, I was going to fire him anyway. <laughs> no matter if I got the recommendation. Yeah. I mean, this is this shows you, I think, many things. It shows you sort of big picture uh, the way that Donald Trump and the administration has run, which is uh, haphazardly, uh, as I wrote uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, sort of ad hoc, figuring these things out as we go, um, and and really sort of doing things without really any forethought. So you have this basic plan, right, which you just described, with this, uh, uh, of sort of making the case publicly that 
this was coming from the recommendation of the deputy attorney general who is uh, who the FBI director reports to. And, uh, and by the way, whose whose case against Comey was a credible case. Absolutely. It had, um, I'm, you know, I tend to think that Comey kind of uh, uh, drew a bad hand uh, in this this time period that he was expected to be the FBI director, having two presidential candidates with uh, uh, with need for investigation. Um, it was never going to end well. But you're right. I think there was a case, and and, and the, the deputy AG Rod Rosenstein, very well respected. I think um, in the sort of Used broader legal community. Yeah, until this week, <laughs> um, uh, makes this, as you say, kind of a, a, a coherent case for why um, why Jim Comey really was not up to the task anymore of being the FBI director. Uh, and that was a. There were a lot of holes in that story. There was a lot of reason to think that that wasn't the real reason why Donald Trump did it. Uh, but it was an explanation. The problem was that almost immediately after this uh, uh, was released, uh, you had anonymous sources, different uh, factions within the White House talking to different reporters and uh, things getting leaked out. Uh, that immediately began to contradict it. And uh, and then it was, of course, capped off by the president himself <laughs> undercutting uh, the administration's message. Now, of the many, many... Um stories that came out this week suggesting why this had happened. You know, there's the trying to clamp down on the Russia investigation, you know, this, that, and the other. The the thing that struck me as the most plausible, the truest sounding scenario is just that Donald Trump watching cable news kept seeing Comey on the news talking, and he did not like that Comey was getting more airtime than he was. I mean, there's a lot of evidence to show that that might that very well might be the case. We remember back in I think it was January 22nd, two days after the inauguration, uh, Trump is having a a at the White House. There's a, a a reception for law enforcement, and Jim Comey is there, and uh, he calls him over from the other side of the room, uh, does a weird sort of blowing a kiss motion, and then gives Jim Comey a hug because, of course, remember Jim Comey's letter, famous letter on October 28th, uh, right before the election, was what sealed the deal for uh, for Donald Trump uh, uh, winning that they election. They had a bromance Exactly. Going. So there's a bromance. And he actually says in this moment, it's on video, you can see it, uh, uh, he's, <laughs> he says, uh, you're more famous than me. And it's said as a joke. It's said with sort of a lightheartedness. But you start to wonder, was that really, uh, was there a little more truth to that than than, uh, Donald Trump was willing to let on and really that Donald Trump was willing to tolerate. I think there's something to that. There there was a a famous story. I can't remember the particulars at the moment, but it was back in the the first full flush of of wealth coming from the West Indies to British planters. And the king was out in his um, reasonably gilt carriage one day and... um, and along comes a carriage twice as splendid as his own, and uh, and it comes to a stop and it lets the king go by, and the king asks his minister who that is, and he's told, well, that's you know the sugar baron, and um, uh, yes. and the king says, all that with sugar. <laughs> the taxes followed shortly thereafter. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't pay to upstage the king. That's right. And and I think along these lines, 
uh, the president uh, felt, and this has been reported as as uh, uh, as people in the know saying he felt this way. He felt that it wasn't simply or only uh, that he was being upstaged, but that um, that that Jim Comey was not uh, representing the Trump administration very well. That he was not pursuing and uh, giving a, a a good face for the Trump administration more. In particularly for Trump himself. Does this suggest a, a perhaps a misunderstanding of what the <laughs> right. role of the FBI director is in an administration? Uh, you might say that, Eric. You might say that. Uh, yeah, the, the whole idea of independence, right, of sort of the independence uh, of the FBI. It's a, it's a weird position. It's kind of a weird agency in the fact that it is uh, within the Department of Justice, and, and the president does have the ability. You've heard you know, kind of the the most outrageous uh, left wing reaction to this is a constitutional crisis of Donald Trump firing the, the the FBI director, which is priceless, by the way, because it used to be the left that recognized what could happen when an unrestrained FBI director right. was running roughshod over the rights of people who had not been convicted. J. Edgar, anyone? Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, now, yeah, now that uh, are you suggesting hypocrisy in Washington in the era of Trump? It's it's hard to believe, but no, but I, I wouldn't go that far. Well, I of course you wouldn't. Uh, uh, the but the, <laughs> I mean, the idea uh, that there's a constitutional crisis is is ludicrous because, of course, this is within the president's uh, uh, right to fire at will for for any reason or no reason at all, really. But <laughs> that being said. The White House and Donald Trump himself are not doing themselves any favors. Politics is all about perception. And everything about this, if you just take out all of the uh, potential reasons that he did this, the perception of why Donald Trump did this, it doesn't look good for him. And, And it's a problem that they don't seem to have thought about at all. Well, right. Did they actually seem surprised that they got this blowback and pushback on this to, this week? Yeah, this is this has been the line from the administration that uh, well they can't they can't believe that Democrats are upset about this because uh, for for months Democrats have been calling for Comey's head because of that that infamous letter that cost Hillary Clinton the election. Uh, so they should be happy about this. In fact, the communications office the the the, the first uh, uh, besides the actual letter and announcement of the resignation on Tuesday night, the first thing I got from the communications office at the White House was a sort of opposition research file of all the things, all the Democrats, elected Democrats who had called for Comey to be, uh, to, to step down or said that he wasn't uh, qualified to be in the position. And okay, that, that's fair enough, you know, uh, turnabout's fair play, but uh, th- there's a, sort of a, a, a kind of misses the point, right? I mean, th- this is, this is an issue where uh, the president is, uh, is, possibly under investigation or associates rather of his campaign somebody around the president is under investigation by the fbi um the reason for uh the fbi director's dismissal is something that happened 10 months prior before the election that everybody knew about right that he had mishandled the uh uh, the hillary clinton investigation Uh, everybody knew that he knew that Back in January, this could have been something sort of at the very beginning of his administration and say, well, it's really time, you know, maybe Jim Comey is a, is a, is a good man, but he's not fit for this job. Or we're just going to start a clean slate. Now we're right in the midst of an investigation. And this is the moment that Donald Trump decides uh, uh, to, 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 to fire his FBI director. It just it doesn't look right. And there's sort of been no preparation 
because I think it was done pretty quickly, no preparation of the White House staff or their surrogates uh, to make any kind of coherent defense for this. Well, you you see, though, in some, I, I don't want to suggest a hyper-intellectualization of the Trump White House. Sure. Uh, you know, that would be a mistake. <laughs> but in some respects, it looks like the White House thinks it's playing chess. It's getting the statements of various uh, Democratic right. lawmakers lined up, taking their moves into account, setting it up, and then using it against them. Right when actually they've got the game wrong. Right, they're, what they're actually playing, what politics in Washington has become, is MMA cage fighting. <laughs> right. And you know, you can come in the cage and you can say, "No, wait one second. It, it, except, it, except there are no rules, you know. No I mean, rules. and 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 you can kick and you can punch and you can, yeah. And it's, I, I think that I think there's something to. I, I don't that. think there's any eye gouging allowed. But, right, but hey, who who knows? But um, those are the finer points of MMA. That's in Washington. I think eye gouging is is oh allowed. totally, absolutely. Uh, it's a little it's a little more brutal, a little more cutthroat in in Washington. No, I think I think this is uh, you, you touch on the ultimate problem here, which is I think that what the Trump administration, what the White House, doesn't quite hasn't quite figured out is that uh, the story is Trump and and the issue was Trump. And, um, you know, they can sort of point out hypocrisy and all that sort of thing. And they'll have, you know, mem- you know, people in the media on their side sort of helping them out to do that. Um, but uh, this all boils down to the actual question. Wh- why was uh, Director Comey fired? Was he fired for the reasons that the administration gave at the beginning, which was uh, this sort of uh, semi-coherent reason why, or was it uh, was it that you know the the director was getting and the FBI was getting too close uh, to uh, finding something out about this uh, about Russian collusion that didn't please the White House? I mean, these are the reports that are coming from Wall Street Journal, CNN, saying uh, that investigation is ramping up. Um, look, we don't know what the actual story here is. I mean, you can go as far as to say, you know, the conspiracy is, is deep. I, I don't really, I don't really buy that, that the Trump campaign and the Russians were colluding uh, in, in such direct ways. The fact is though, is that we don't know. And the FBI appears to be investigating more and more and finding more and more information that makes them want to investigate further. If you want to make it seem uh, the perception that you're, that there's nothing wrong. Why do this, why draw attention to that investigation by firing the guy who's leading it? It doesn't make any strategic sense. Right, except that may be the whole point. Exactly. Well, it, and, and that's what it, that's what not that it shows a conspiracy, right. but it just shows a White House that has no strategic sense whatsoever. Michael Warren, White House correspondent for the Weekly Standard. Now we welcome to the Confab studio Mr. Andy Ferguson of the Weekly Standard. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. How about you? I'm doing fine, thank you. You know, as um, people who have come to the Confab before, which isn't everybody because, you know, every week there are armies of new listeners coming aboard. But yes, for, for those who are repeat listeners to the Confab, uh, they will recognize that um, last week I talked with Fred Barnes, about the changing political situation in Virginia and how this once red state has now gone to a reliably blue state. 
And you, in a new article in the Weekly Standard, drilled down in that issue and in that concept and um, find that not only is Virginia becoming a blue state, but if the contestants for the Democratic nomination for governor in Virginia are any indication, it's becoming a wacky left-wing state. (laughs) Well, it's definitely um, uh, the party itself, which, you know, it's worth remembering, as Fred pointed out, really um, uh, brought us some reliably conservative or moderate uh, Democrats over the years. And um, Virginia's had a pretty good government as a result. Uh, now, though, they've um, turned much more towards the national party, which itself, of course, is being pulled left. And in Virginia, the party's being pulled left by uh, the, a sort of analog to the Tea Party on the right, I guess, from 2010, which is uh, a very alienated base, people who feel like their leaders in the party have sold them out. And so it's as a consequence, the two candidates for governor are trying to out-left-wing each other. Now, one of these guys, Ralph Northam, he's got uh, some baggage along with him, which is that he's already been in government as lieutenant governor. He's he's part of the establishment. He's he's part of right. He's he's the man. Yeah, and, and the thing that marks him as such is that he uh, accepted a twenty-five thousand dollar contribution to his campaign from Dominion, which is the aptly named power company in uh, in uh, Virginia. And uh, as a lot of people say, the Virginia state government is a wholly owned subsidiary of Dominion. It's a particularly acute problem right now because Dominion wants to build an oil and gas pipeline through the western no. part of the state. Yes. Imagine a power company wanting to build an oil and gas pipeline. The horror. And uh, Northam has refused to condemn this, and so, of course, it's become, the the charge has been that, well, Dominion has bought him off, so it's just going to be business as usual with Ralph. And meanwhile, he has uh, he has uh, begun to face a rival who is really taking advantage of that. And the rival is a long-term left-wing activist. Right. Is it named uh, Tom... Uh, Periello, although when Bernie Sanders endorsed him, uh, he, uh, poor Bernie in his famous uh, Bronx, Vermont accent, called him uh, Tom Perioli. So it sounded like he was endorsing a new progressive form of pasta rather than a. Can I get a bowl of Perioli over here, please? <laughs> yeah. You want that red with red sauce? sauce. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, he has this. Uh, Periello really has gotten a lot of sort of grassroots interest, um, which, again, is going further and further left in Virginia. And Elizabeth Warren has endorsed him very warmly. Bernie Sanders has held, I believe, a couple of rallies with him. And he's long enjoyed the financial backing of George Soros. Yeah. In 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 the George W. Bush years, he just sort of took some Soros money and founded one left-wing organization after another. Now, somehow the the concern over big money influence doesn't extend when you're on the left to concern over George Soros. Nothing can really uh, sort of represent the condition of the party better than that. They, there's something automatically illegitimate about having a relationship with the state's regulated utility, 
while taking money from this really creepy billionaire financier uh, is perfectly okay. <laughs> so now, when do they go head-to-head to determine who's going to be the candidate for the Democratic Party? That's on uh, June 13th. So coming mm-hmm. up, what's, what's your guess about who, um, who comes out ahead? Well, having uh, seen them both, I, I'd say uh, Perello seems to have the um, have the better uh, equipment as a candidate. He's he's much more fluent. He's much uh, he seems to be much more quick on his feet, and he's really got all of the patter. He's Virginia's uh, own Emmanuel Macron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Except I don't know. He, I don't think he likes capitalism as much as Macron does. Uh, and Northam is uh, supposed to be a very wily politician, so it's it's wrong to to uh, write him off. And he does have all the party apparatus behind him, which is lots of money, lots of organization. So um, I think it's ri- really a toss-up right now, and the polls reflect that. Does the candidate come back toward the center after getting the nomination, or is the Democratic Party going to go full Sanders on Virginia? Well, that will be the, that's the really great question that will tell us well, uh, that's a what lot you come, about... That's what you come to the CONFAB for. Absolutely. Really great, questions. great questions. <laughs> I'm not going to give you any answers, but <laughs> the questions are fantastic. Uh, no, it will really tell us where, where the party is. If, if the candidate, the Democratic candidate, can imagine that he can stay far to the left uh, and still win in what not so long ago was sort of a purple or even reddish state, uh, then the state really is in the hands of Democrats for as far as the eye can see. Andy Ferguson, senior editor at the Weekly Standard, thanks for joining us on the Confab. Always happy to be here. If we can break away from the issues of national import for a few moments, this is the part of the confab where we talk for a few seconds about the Dollar Shave Club. Get a great shave at a great price with razors delivered right to your door. That bit about deliveries is worth emphasizing. I doubt I'm the only one who gets bent out of shape when I go to the drugstore and try to buy razors and find them all locked up in little plastic cabinets. The Dollar Shave Club should have a slogan— We don't treat you like a would-be criminal. Get your razors with some dignity. There's a special deal for Confab listeners who join the Dollar Shave Club. You get $15 worth of blades and shave butter for just $5. That's a weighty handle plus four cartridges and a tube of shave butter for $5 and free shipping. It's easy to order online. All you have to do to get this exclusive offer is to go to dollarshaveclub.com slash confab. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash confab. And now the confab is happy to welcome to the confab studio Mr. Ethan Epstein, the Weekly Standards, in-house expert on all things Korean, associate editor, um, Ethan What's the K-pop girl band of the moment? See, the limit the, you're bumping up against the limits of my expertise on all things Korean. I'm I'm a few years behind on my K-pop expertise. So you you tell me. I I don't know. I was hoping we could sort it out here on the confab. Uh we'll we'll figure it out by the end of the segment hopefully. By by the up-to-date 
K-pop girl band of the moment, that has to be information from at least the last week. I, think. I would say and it might expire by the time this goes live. <laughs> so uh, they're pretty <laughs> ephemeral in their pop taste there. So um, also ephemeral uh, who gets to be president in Korea. Unlike in North Korea, actually, Unlike where it's more Korea. eternal. But um, so South Korea had a presidential election this week, and the winner was Kim Jong-un. Uh, arguably. I mean, we, we could be provocative and say yes. Uh, the left-wing candidate, Moon Jae-in, who uh, wants to pursue closer ties with North Korea and, and do certain projects that I, I would argue will really be a financial boon to North Korea, uh, he did emerge victorious, yes. And uh, with something less than a um, majority of the vote, though. Yeah, uh, he, he got around 40%, uh, so it was a split field, and they don't do a runoff. So the 40% uh, gets him actually to the Blue House, which is uh, the presidential residence there. Um, but I'd make a couple points. One, that is hardly a resounding mandate. Uh, and I'd also point out that the same fellow, Moon Jae-in, ran for president in 2012, that time it was a two-way race, and he got 48% of the vote. So he actually did significantly worse this time around than he had previously. So what happened to the president who was being replaced? Well, she's now in jail, in fact. Uh, so she From the blue house to the big house. It, precisely, yes. So she um, got ensnared in this corruption scandal. Uh, she had a bizarre friendship with a woman that went around extorting money from big Korean companies— the friend is in is in jail, and the president is too. So, I, another thing I would point out here is even with that level of disgrace suffered by uh, the conservatives, uh, again the left wing candidate only managed forty percent of the vote. So, you know, I'll take my my solace where I can here. So these poor big companies yeah. in 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 South Korea, they've been being shaken down by the very strange friend of the ex president. But um, what what do they get for their trouble? But uh, a new president in whose job he's dis described is going to be to um, rein in those very big companies. Yes, and uh, I mean they've had a tough time. Not only have they they done that, but then of course their phones started exploding randomly. If you're Samsung, so uh, a tough year for Samsung last year. Listen, at this point, the J bowl—that's what the term for these big companies—and and they're the ones most Americans have heard of, like Samsung, LG, Hyundai. They command an absolutely ridiculously large percentage of the country's economy. Samsung alone is 20% of Korean GDP. They're not very popular among the public for obvious reasons because, for one, they basically own the political class, and for two, they basically own the entire economy. So uh, I think there are limits to what Moon can do, but you can kind of see why he would have sort of popular support to rein them in a bit. And uh, he's taking a tack that uh, Donald Trump may not approve of with regard to North Korea. That's true. Although, uh, you know, there were previous iterations uh, that Trump might have approved of because Moon is going to try to be the deal maker. Uh, he, he has said – he said before the election that he wanted to go to Pyongyang before Washington, D.C., which was a remarkable statement given, you know, the longstanding alliance between the United States it's and South Korea. It's a shorter Korea. trip. <laughs> well, uh, it's a shorter trip, although it's a trip 50 years back in time, perhaps. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's a little longer temporally. And what's, what's, to, what's to guarantee you don't get, uh, even as president of South Korea, that you don't get kidnapped visiting the It's an excellent North point. Korea. Well, you know, to that end, why, do, why doesn't he invite Kim Jong-un to South Korea and, uh, well, I don't want to suggest any uh, illegal covert ops or anything, but just <laughs> a thought, just a thought that occurred to me here. So the U.S. has just installed a new anti-missile system in South Korea, the THAAD system. Yes. 
And uh, that's been controversial in South Korea. Why has that been controversial? So uh, I think it had bare majority support in the beginning uh, for the sort of obvious reason that the North Koreans are testing missiles left and right and have attacked South Korea several times over the past few years. Uh, I mean, the hard left always opposed it, but then Donald now, Trump— did they yes. really attack South Korea, or had their, did their missiles just go screwy? No, no, so they sunk a ship, uh, the Chunnan, uh, a naval vessel, which killed dozens of Koreans, and they shelled an island. So they really did, they really did attack they, South they Koreans. Were, they yes. were aiming at they were, they, Yes, yes, yeah. they were. Um, uh, then Trump, uh, President Trump said something that I think made that a lot less popular, where he— it seems sort of off the cuff in a bizarre interview with Reuters said that Korea should pay a billion dollars to the United States for the missile system, uh, defense system. This despite the fact that it is an American missile defense system that was installed by Americans, is operated by Americans, and was installed to protect U.S. troops in Korea. So that sort of uh, didn't help its popularity rating there. Didn't he know that he should just go to Samsung for the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh and now uh, the new president, Moon, uh, has said he's going to reevaluate it, but um, I- I'm not so sure. You know, now that it's been installed, I think he'll have a hard time getting rid of it. So how does Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea, how does he react to this new situation where he's got a friendly character running South Korea? Does he behave? Does he make nice? Or does he take the opportunity to go berserk i mean i think he's gonna he's gonna push forward with his programs uh particularly his weapons programs for what i mean why shouldn't he moon jae-in uh the new president has promoted detente with north korea despite the bellicosity that we've seen from north korea for the last 10 years so what does kim jong-un have to lose i mean i thought it was telling that uh he did not do a nuclear test in this last month before the presidential election because i think he wanted to help moon win but now that moon is president uh you know, by the time this goes out to uh, our podcast listeners, perhaps there will already have been another nuclear test. Uh, so I think he'll push ahead, definitely. But now's, now's a good time for him to, to keep going. Scary stuff when it, whenever it's a good time for Kim Jong-un. Bad times for the rest of us. <laughs> Ethan Epstein, associate editor of The Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on The Confab. Thank you. That's it for the Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to the Confab every week. Just go to iTunes for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.